Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 2. Why did the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them with his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Amen. Good morning, everybody. If you're new, my name is Bruce O'Neill, and I'm a pastor here. Pastor Michael is still on vacation, and so I get the opportunity to bring the message this morning. This is um, Michael Carrion's last a Sunday with us. He's been an intern for the last year, and so on behalf of the church, thank you for your service to us. It's been a blessing. <laughs> if you didn't know, tomorrow is our nation celebrates the 4th of July, which is the time in which we celebrate uh, the, how the colonies, including New York, declared its independence from George III, the King of Britain. Do you know we came this close to having our own king? You have to go back a little bit in, in time, but when Elizabeth I, not the one the Elizabeth now, but the first Elizabeth passed away, she did not have any children, and so the, the nobles of England went looking for a relative, and so they went to Queen Mary of Scots, who had a son named James, and they asked him, who was already king of Scotland, to be the king, and this is how England and Scotland got unified, Kings, King James. He was the King James I of Scotland and King James VI of England, and those of you who've ever read the King James Version, he was king at the time in which that was translated. When he died, his son Charles was going to be the throne, first of Scotland and then of England. And when he became uh, a king, he married a Catholic girl. 
and he too became Catholic. And so the Scots didn't really have a problem with that. The Stuarts had a lineage of a close relationship with the Catholic Church, but the English did. They did not want to go back and have a monarch who was Catholic. It took a long time for Henry VIII to get free from Rome, and so uh, they refused Charles I to be king. In fact, they forced him to advocate the throne. And when he did, his son, Bonnie Prince Charlie, we don't walk around and call somebody Bonnie, but in that day it meant handsome. Evidently, he was good-looking for his day. He led a rebellion. It's called the Jacobite Rebellion. It's really big in Scotland. Uh, 1745, it failed. He got within a few miles of London. Henry, the, I mean, uh, George II was so scared, he actually got on a boat back to Germany, the Hanovers. But anyway, he went to go live in Italy. And while he was living in Italy, Italy in 1776, some representatives from Pennsylvania and Maryland traveled to Italy to beg him to be our king. Now, he turned them down because he didn't want to go through the process of having to have a war about him being king. Well, he turned them down twice because they begged again. When he turned them down the second time, they went to another famous George, George Washington, and they asked him, would you be our king? And he said, no. So the American nobles, our version, decided they would try a brand new idea called the presidency. We were that close. You see, we rejected a particular king, George III, not kings, not the idea of having a king, which brings us to this psalm, Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is the first of what's called the royal psalms. These were psalms dedicated to the king. You see, verse 6 says, I have installed my king on Zion. Zion. Mount Zion is where Jerusalem was built. It's where David had his throne, my holy mountain. Who's that king that the psalmist is talking about? This morning, I want to answer that question and to look at the implications of what it means to live under that king. But before I do, I do want to introduce you to a problem this text raises about believing in God. That is, religious surveys over the decades have been fairly consistent with this question, do you believe in God? And the response has been fairly steady the whole time, give or take a few percentage. About 81% of Americans answer that question that I believe in God. That leaves about 3% atheists, that really hasn't changed in decades. And about 16% are agnostic or none. That is, there might be a God, there might not, nobody really knows. That number has actually gone up, especially among uh, young people. The problem isn't, do people believe in God? Obviously, if 81% and really another 16% believe there could be, it's when you go to define the God that we begin to have a problem. When we say, this is what God is like, do you believe in that God? that people say no, particularly if you say God is sovereign. See, people don't have a problem with a sovereign king as long as he's not absolute sovereign. As long as he can't say where I live, what I can do for a living, who I can love, who I can't love. As long as the king can't have that kind of authority over my life, I don't mind a king. That's what the American surveys have showed. 
The poet Robert Browning said this, God is in heaven and all is right with the world. Obviously, Robert Browning never lived through the 20th century. Not with two world wars, or even the 21st century with, at to date, 200 school shootings. 169 children went to school thinking that it was a safe place, died. There have been 27 school shootings this year alone, according to the Washington Post, which has led one woman to ask her husband, shall we watch the six o'clock news and get indigestion, or shall we wait till the 11 o'clock and get insomnia? The Psalm declares God is in heaven, but not all is right with the world. So how do we reconcile this apparent contradiction? Let's take a look at the psalm and the problem that it raises. So the first thing that I want us to look at is how this psalm implies that everybody wants a king. So what are you talking about? You see, most Americans think that because we're Americans, we don't have a king. But the truth is, we obsess over royals. Think about the popular programs like Victoria, The Crown, Downton Abbey, the American version, which is the Gilded Age. Why are so many Americans who do not have an earthly king make so much of their celebrities? We often give celebrities the place that royals have in other countries, in other societies. We crown them over our lives. We let them shape what we wear, what we think, what we do. Why do we adore them so? And why are kings at the center of so many of our mythologies, our legends? You think about Robin Hood, King Arthur, Macbeth, the Lord of the Rings. This is true even though the actual history of kings is abysmal. It is filled with tyranny and tragedy and treason. Why do we adore them so? Why do we pay them so much attention. The answer is, you and I were built for a king. We were made to have a king. Our hearts long for a king. Deep in the recesses of our hearts is a desire for a king. This king. Behind every celebrity that we watch and read and want to mimic. Behind every athlete that we wish we were behind all the politicians that we hope in at entering the, the election but find out and disappointed after they're elected, behind every earthly king, even the bad ones, is the one true king. Here's my point. Even if you reject the true king, you will find a king. Without a king, we will crown someone. We have to. We were built to have a king. Look at verse 7. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Who has God said that to? I gave it away. Jesus. He's the one true king. But here's the problem. We reject the king. We don't reject the idea of a king, just the one true king, the one that's described in the Bible. I already said, we like royals, and some are obsessed with them. Our problem is not with the idea of having a king. 
or even the kings themselves, our problem is with the one true king, someone who rules over us. You know the etymology of the word uh, subject, it comes from the Latin, which means someone has the right to determine how things are to be and how we are to live, which is why kings are called rulers and his citizens are called subjects. We like kings. We just don't want them to rule over us. We reserve that right for ourselves. This is why we reject the idea of a God who owns us, a God who has the right to determine how things are to go, how we are to live, where we are to live, who we are to love, how we are to love. Verses 1 through 3, the opening sentences. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. They're describing what life is like under the absolute king in slave language. Shackles and chains. In fact, the word that is there that is translated shackle and chains, we get the English word yoke. And if you know what a yoke is, is when two animals need to be working together, they are yoked together. And so the idea is that we are not our own, that we don't get to do what we want to do, that there's a purpose and we are given that purpose and yoked with him. You see, our problem is not with the idea of a king over us. Our problem is with the one true king who rules. And what we would do if this true king actually showed up to claim his throne? Have you ever thought of that? What if he actually showed up? The truth is he did. And what did we do? We killed him. So let me address a couple of objections that you probably have by now by what I've said. And the first one is the average person, Bruce, doesn't reject God. Remember, I didn't say that we reject the idea of a God, just that we, uh, we reject this God, the one that is described in the Bible. The problem is with the definition of God, not the idea of a God. A God who is absolutely sovereign over this world and everyone in it offends us. We reject the idea that someone owns us. That someone has the right to tell us how to live our lives. Look at verse 8. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance and ends the of the earth, your possession. You hear what he's claiming here? He's claiming, do you see, that the one true king has been given this world and everyone in it belongs to him. That is, the one true king looks at the entire planet and everyone in it and says and declares, you are mine. We don't have a problem with the idea of the king. Our problem was with that one true king. If he's the one true king, then it's got implications for how we are to live in his rule. So let me deal with that second objection. Bruce, I understand that the world is like that, but we Christians, we love our king, King Jesus. Yeah, sorta. We love him as savior. 
Oh, we love the fact that, the, that, that Jesus is the one who came and brought forgiveness of sins. He died in our place. We love the idea of eternal life in heaven. We love this king who is our savior. But the truth is, can that king contradict you? And what you want to do, and the way you want to live, and the belief you want to have. If he can't, then he's something. But he's not the one true king. Because if you're always in agreement with the king, then that's not submission. That's just agreement. It is when the king asks you to do something you don't want to do, when the king requires of us what we don't want to give, then he is king and we are his subjects. Then we say, not my will, but thy will be done. Then you know you're talking about the one true king. Not when we're in agreement with him. One way to reject Jesus is to love him as your savior, but not as your king. Imagine loving someone for only part of who they are. This is trying to have a relationship on your own terms, and you know that doesn't work because we come as a whole package. Strengths, weaknesses, the squeezing the toothpaste in the middle, the squeezing the toothpaste at the end, all the things that we like and don't like, all the pet peeves that we have. And God comes as Savior and Lord, never as one. If we do that with our relationship with God, if we say, I love you as my Savior, but eh, I really don't love you as my King, you have something, but it is not Christianity. Do you see, we can love the idea of a King, but resent having a King who claims the right over our lives. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or Join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. A king who won't or can't contradict you can be a king, but he cannot be the one true king. And if there really is a true king, then how are we going to relate to him? How are we supposed to relate to a king that has absolute. Our text tells us it begins with a kiss. Verse 12, kiss the sun. In the ancient world, kissing the ring or the hand of a ruler is the same thing as saying, I am yours. You are my king. It's a symbol of submission. It's an admission that you are king and I am not that you are his subject and he is your Lord. It's a way of saying, I'm in for your rule of my life. 
I'm going to trust you even when the evidence isn't there. Have you done that yet? I'm not asking you, do you trust Jesus as your Savior for your salvation? That's an important question too, and it must be asked first. But have you submitted to him as your one true king? The truth is, we think that's a one-time only decision that we make long ago. And the truth is, submission to the one true king happens all day, every day, 24 hours, 365 days a year. Because we're constantly being challenged. Are we going to go our own way or his way? Are we going to follow him or follow ourselves? We need to be able to ask that question not only when things are going well, but when we're being challenged to go our own way. But we're also asked after we have completely failed him in following him. The Bible has so many illustrations of people who started following God, got challenged, went their own way, and then God called them back. It's the whole idea behind the prodigal son parable. So if it begins with a kiss, it goes on into service. Verse 11, serve the Lord with fear. What does that mean? Do you remember how we began talking about how the nations viewed uh, following God, this one true king as being yoked to him, shackles and chains? Our problem is not that we want to be free. We were made to be free. We were made for freedom. Our problem is our definition of freedom. We have defined freedom to do what you want, when you want, how you want. That's not freedom. That's a description of slavery. To be enslaved to my passions and desires without restraint, that's enslavement. But the Bible redefines freedom into being able to live as you were made to live. Being able to do the what you've been made to do. The secret everyone seems to be complicit here is in hiding that we are only truly free when we live as we are made, in line with how our maker has made us. In 1979, I was 18 years old and went to college, and I loved swimming. In Auburn, they only had one pool. And so the swim team and then what I call the, the, the regulars got in the pool at the same time. And I like to do it before class. And, and so I met this young man. He was 20 years old at the time. He had this greenish hair because in those days we chlorinated the water and it turned blonde to, to green. Because he was in the pool uh, f- for so much of the day. He, he started the morning at 6 and he He finished swimming at eight, and then he'd get back after school and swim for a couple more hours, and then he had practice. He had held uh, 10 world records at the time when I met him. He was a four-time collegiate uh, champion. He um, wanted so much to be in the Olympics. His whole life, since he was a little boy, was to live in a pool so that he could be an Olympian. 
His name was Ambrose Rowdy Gaines IV from a little place in Florida. And he was a phenomenal athlete. In fact, in 1980, he was predicted to break Mark Spitz records and for being the most decorated Olympian. But if you remember in 1980, that is when uh, the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan and we decided to sit out that Olympics, meaning he didn't get to go. What did he do? What would you do? Everything you have been living for, you are the reigning world champion. I said 10 world records, not collegiate records. There was nobody better in the water than Rowdy Games. What would you do? He kept swimming. Same pattern, same everything. Rowdy Gaines was free when he was in the bounds of that pool. Because that is one of the things that God made him for. You see, the metaphor here? You and I were made to be in the bounds of a relationship with our one true king. Not to be independent human beings all on our own, colliding, uh, uh, colliding against one another, living in this world and hoping everything works out, but literally living as we were made to be under the king. Christians are the ones who have to do that by faith because it can't be by sight because no one here can see the king. This is what Paul said when he wanted to describe this relationship to this king. He said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live by the flesh, I live by faith in the one who loved me and delivered himself up for me. The truth is we never really were free until we had the king. We're only free when we trust God who is willing our good. You see, my problem isn't that there's a God. My problem is, does he will my good? Even when it, it contradicts what I want and what I think is best, which brings us to the last part of our relationship, kiss the sun, we're also called to serve the king. But lastly, we're called to rejoice in the king. Verse 11, celebrate his rule. The psalm goes a step further than every earthly king. We're to rejoice. One of the lessons, and I'm sorry that it takes so long for me to learn some lessons, but here's one of the lessons that I learned, is that ultimately I'm not in charge. It takes a while. That it's some decisions, some things are above my pay grade. And some things that I don't have to worry about that somebody else is making. That's part of why I can rejoice. Is that the person who does make that decision is the one who is accountable. And I don't want to be that person. We need to find joy when we see God at work in our world. Christians... We should be known for our joy. I'll make the argument. That's not what we are known for. We're primarily known for what we are against. 
and not what we are for. And it's hard to gin up joy over the things that we are against. It is easy to rejoice. All you have to do is watch a sporting event where we have skin in the game, where we love the team and it wins. Let me give you a little thought experiment. Go home when it's football season and watch a football game. I don't care whether it's the American version or soccer. Watch it with the sound down. And what do you see? If you didn't know better, you would think you were watching a worship service. Hands are raised. People are dancing. They're screaming at the top of their lungs. You say, we're Presbyterians. We don't do any of that. We will in heaven. Just telling you. The, the scriptures are so descriptive of our whole bodies in worship, our whole mind, our whole soul, not just the parts that Presbyterians like to worship with, our minds. We should be known for our laughter. Have you ever been to a restaurant in, in, in the city and you notice this one table is louder than everyone else? They seem to be having a good time and you kind of feel bad that you're not at their table. It should be a table of Christians. Because we've got lots to have joy over. We should be the loudest, funnest group in the restaurant. We should be known for our parties. They are not funerals. They are opportunities for us to rejoice together. So one of the things I love about LSQ is they know how to party. It doesn't mean that they have to do the... The, the stuff that ultimately destroys, but they do what is good and rejoice. We should also be known for not taking ourselves too seriously. That doesn't mean we don't take things seriously, but each other so seriously. You ever heard that, that, that sometimes Christians are so narrow-minded that they could look through a peephole with both eyes? That's taking yourself too seriously. The truth is we mess up all the time and rather than hiding it, which is what we tend to do because we don't want anybody to know that we really do make mistakes, we should rejoice in them. Not saying make much of them. I am saying that it is why we need a savior after all. We've been given a great ministry. It's called a ministry of reconciliation in the world. In the United States today, we are so divided. I was just reading articles on how the country is really two countries in one. And that Christians should not be the ones rejoicing over that. The great migration right now is from blue states to red states. And some people are rejoicing over that. And we should not be the one who think it is good to divide. Remember, the last time somebody thought it was a good idea to divide something, it was a mother over a baby. And Solomon figured out who the true mother was by the one who was not celebrating the division. We rejoice because our king reigns. 
we rejoice because our king did something that no other earthly king has ever done. He died for us. Every earthly king asked his subjects to die for him, for his cause. Only the king in heaven came to earth to die in our place for us. And here's the kicker. He did it even while we were rejecting him. What king does that? What king looks at his subject and says, you know what? I'm going to die for them even though they would rather have a different king or no king at all. Our king is going to return. Our king is coming back. His rule and reign is seen in the lives of his people. But one day, he, we will all see our king face to face. And we will worship him. And I hope we practice now what we will see then. People at sporting events should never out-worship us. They're celebrities over our one true king. Let's pray. Father, this is a beautiful text before we go into celebrating our independence from King George III. Because it'll remind us that we sought that independence in our hearts from you. And what we really, really need is our one true king. And even if that means you're going to contradict us sometimes in the way that we want to go, the things we want to do, the things that we want to say, and that we need to cry out, not my will, but thy will be done. We have the perfect example of that when Jesus faced his own death for those who rejected you. Not my will, but thy will be done. Help us, Father, every day of our lives to wake up and to recommit our hearts to following our one true king. That we might find true happiness, true joy in following you, in the bounds that you have made for us, that we might feel and know our true freedom. Release our hearts that we might rejoice and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.